Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode number 35, entitled Interruptions Galore, in which I'll be examining issue number 30. Yeah, this issue (laughs) makes me think of the knock-knock joke about the cow, right? The interrupting cow joke. Oh my gosh. I feel like it's the interrupting beyonder. Um, But yeah, please stay tuned after this message. We'll dive right in. In interest of full disclosure, uh, I think I should mention before we get into the review of issue number 30 uh, of The New Mutants, entitled The Singer and Her Song. Uh, I should just point out that there, there's a little bit of dread on my part in covering this issue. Uh, and there's a, I think there's a couple reasons for that. First being that we're really nearing the end of Sinkevich's run on The New Mutants. Like, he's got this issue and the next, and then he's going to be off the book. We're going to get new artists. And Zinkevich is so important for me to me for so many reasons, you know, most of which is he is is an artist that really I think highlights my my development as a comic book fan and comic book uh art enthusiast. And just by that I mean, you know, I grew up in an era that was heavily influenced by Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld and Todd McFarlane, and they were the superstars. Those were the superstars. And not, and I'm not... I still to this day enjoy their artwork. Um, but... I think there's a but to that. The, there's a qualification to that. And that there's also the 90s were an era of heavy model poses of lots of sexualization. And and sometimes the writing didn't live up to the art. And, and some of that's, you know due to what was happening in comics, uh, you know, crash uh, in sales. Um, some of that's that writers weren't left on storylines long enough. Um, there's, just, there's tons of reasons as to what caused these problems. The point being, the 90s was, in a lot of ways, um, my adolescence as far, in terms of my my intake of of this medium and as I went to college and I really began to appreciate as I got older Zinkevich's artwork like that was the beginning of a new a rebirth for me in terms of my appreciation and my desire to collect and it really opened doors um and then I, I look at things like Barry Windsor Smith and his work with Uncanny X-Men and Weapon X and like how unbelievable some of the stories he told were. And, you know, so 
I, I appreciate that development, and, and I'm grateful for it. And so Zinkevich, as I've said before, he is my favorite artist. I'm always going to have a soft spot, and I'm going to look fondly back at this and miss it. Uh, it's just That's just the facts for me, you know. Now, it's, this is also coming, you know, his, his nearing his end on, nearing his end on his, with his run during, uh, for with New Mutants. Not only are we coming to that, we've also entered a crossover. Now, it's not an X-Men crossover. This is a company-wide crossover. It's, it's the second time we've seen all the heroes pulled into one theme, one, one title. And we're seeing it again here, but now the title is, is offshoots, has offshoots into all the titles around the Marvel Universe. So we, we had Secret Wars. That came and went. It affected comics. It affected everybody. And now we have Secret Wars 2. And and this is going to have a larger effect. And Secret Wars... Um, I've heard it des- described as a, as a toy advertisement. And I, I think that's fitting. Um, and Secret Wars 2 is kind of it's kind of Jim Shooter's like opus and I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it honestly we're going to I've, I've decided I will cover what's relevant in the main arc the 7 12 issue run that is Secret Wars 2 um, I will cover what's relevant to the New Mutants um, I will do really quick overviews of that I will talk about it when it's important to the issue uh, but otherwise, I find it to be, in my personal opinion, I don't like it. I find it to be annoying, and uh, I don't enjoy it. Let's just put it that way. I don't really enjoy that crossover. And so if I could get by without talking about it, I would gladly do that. Um, this issue is, it has run-ins with the Beyonder, and there is nothing I can do. Uh, that does the story justice without covering his his intersections with this story. Um, so that's that's what I'm going to do, um, and and I think that's the responsible thing to do. Um, now, all that being said, there's going to be some interesting things that happen with Ileana as a result of the Beyonder, and so here's here's me looking for silver linings. It makes me wonder if some of the stuff that's going to happen. We saw in the last issue, or in the last episode, I talked about Secret Wars 2, that issue number one, and how the Beyonder forced Darkchild out of Ileana, made Darkchild manifest in Ileana, and how she teleported herself and her, her friends to Limbo. And that was the end of the New Mutants involvement, and that's where I ended that episode. We are going to pick up in Limbo with Ileana in this episode, and she is in Dark Child's form. Now, we've had hints, and we've had Ileana, uh, we've had this hinted at in New Mutants. Uh, Claremont has been hinting at it, and we've seen the Dark Child before in the Magic miniseries, but we, have, we haven't really seen too much. We haven't seen a lot of that yet. So, the thing I wonder as if 
the Beyonder provided, obviously provided a way for this to kind of jumpstart this, this part of the story for Ileana. And is it possible? Like, what would have happened if Secret Wars never happened? What would the, story, what would the character development of Ileana look like? It's entirely possible Chris Claremont would have stepped off the book and we would have never seen the conclusion of that. I mean, who knows? So, it may have accelerated some Ileana's character development, and it might have, you know, without it, who knows if we get Inferno. And these are just some thoughts that have been bouncing around in my head as I've read this issue and tried to find reasons to appreciate. Um, the other thing that makes this Secret Wars issue number one so important to this issue and kind of vital, uh, well, we get some... Uh, we also get two new characters added to this uh, ragtag team of new mutants who are trying to help their friends still, Roberto and Amaro, who are currently with the Gladiators. They get the addition of Rachel Summers, uh, who will later become known as Phoenix and run around with X-Factor. Or X-Factor, sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry, run around with uh, Excalibur. <laughs> Duh. Um, and have her hijinks there with Claremont. Uh, but we also have Kitty Pride, who's has relationships with, uh, you know, friendships, very strong friendship with Kitty, uh, with Ileana, and was once in a relationship with uh, Ileana's brother, Colossus. So we get some good, we just get a lot of opportunities to work on character development for Ileana, and that's, that's new. Um, so yeah. Uh, before before we continue too much further with this story, I think I, I, we still need to review the car, uh, creative team. So let's do that now. Our creative team is made up of Chris Claremont, obviously still doing obviously still doing the writing, and we have Bill Sienkiewicz uh, as the artist. Joe Rosen, he's doing the lettering. Now he's been on the book before, and he's filling in here. Uh, and as our friend Nelson. Uh, has pointed out he Orzechewski last issue and this issue is also working on the Asgardian Wars and th- that massive crossover uh, that's extensive and so it's going to take a lot of effort to get that completed so it's entirely possible that his workload is just overwhelming at this point and he doesn't have time to do this. And so it's a fill-in letter. And we get Rosen coming in to, to take over for, for this issue because of that. Uh, and, and it makes sense, right? I mean, you can only do so much before you can't do it, right? And so better to have somebody else handle the job while you do the other thing. And so I think that's what's happened here. That makes a lot of sense. Glennis Oliver, she's the colorist still, and Ascenti is still the uh, line editor, and we have Jim Shooter as the editor-in-chief. Uh, and I said, as I said, you know, Secret Wars is, is, is really Jim Shooter's baby. Like, that's his thing, and I really don't like it, and I struggle very, really often with my like, my level of... Um, sometimes I... I it was really easy to dislike uh, Jim Shooter, especially as I was reading, uh, as I've watched some things, like some documentaries, uh, like Claremont's X-Men. Uh, that was on, that's on Amazon Prime. You can purchase it and watch it there. Or 
Uh, I haven't seen it anywhere else. I haven't seen it to purchase to own other than through Amazon, like as a downloadable, like movie documentary. So uh, if you if you know where that could be found, please drop me a line. I'd love to have a physical copy that I have on my uh, DVD with my DVD collection, my Blu-ray collection. Um, that being said, I've also seen uh, stuff about him in uh, Sean Howe's uh, Marvel Lento's story. And they talk about him as Eddie Chief in there. And, like, there's things he does and the way he treats people that I that it just makes me cringe. Uh, I sometimes think, you know, like he was not always doing the, you know, I don't know. I judge him really harshly. I'll just say that. I don't always think that he made the best choices. Uh, that being said, some of the people that come after him, they do more harm to the comic book industry and the writers and the artists I care about than Jim Shooter ever did. And, you know, I don't know. I, I just don't know. Uh, things worked under him. And, and some of my favorite story arcs come out well, he is head of Marvel. As well, he is the editor in chief of Marvel Comics. Uh, so, you know, may I judge him too harshly? That's entirely possible. Uh, so, anyways, that's the creative team. Let's not hesitate any further and let's dive right back in. Uh, let's start with this issue. So, as I said, this issue picks up after the Beyonder has pulled the Dark Child out of Ileana, forcing it forcing her to manifest this part of her soul. And she has teleported herself away and her friends, some of her friends. And the people that were caught in her in her portal were Sam and uh, Allison Blair, the Dazzler, and also Kitty Pride and Rachel Summers. The rest of the X-Men were left. They they still were there. They were still fighting with Beyonder, still working with Magneto. Magneto, And uh, where they teleport, so where this group of New Mutants and some X-Men characters teleport is to Limbo, obviously. And Ileana does not transform into that innocent, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Russian girl. She remains in her dark child form, and she is in anger. She's angry. She's in agony. She is just lashing out. And this is not only obvious through her actions, but her will is also beginning to stretch and pull at limbo. And her anger is being translated through limbo. And the team is quickly noticing that they're seeing these massive pieces of of what earth that are these giant boulders being hurled through the air and Sam makes a call they got to protect themselves and he tells Rachel to use her telekinetic powers to pulverize these things and he uses his cannonball powers his ability to ignite himself and fly uh, to sm- and and in while he's flying like this he's pretty much invulnerable and he's able to smash some of these massive boulders well Dazzler has decided she's going to use her light abilities to to make it so they can see what they're doing, like to see their surroundings. And Sam is super creeped out by what he sees as Ileana. It is no longer, like I said, this blue-eyed, blonde-haired, 
little uh, Russian girl. It is instead this very demonic face, these red horns coming off her forehead, and these like gold, golden fire eyes, and just sharp fangs. Like she is demonic. She has completely succumbed to this evil, evilness within her soul. Has taken control. And Sam is horrified by this. He doesn't want to see this. Um, and as he's commenting on that, Ileana begins twisting everything. She begins to warp her friends, like twist their bodies. Like she has total control here and is able to just twist them, bending them and twisting them and, and, and essentially torturing them. They're screaming in pain. And Rachel, or Kitty, Kitty Pride's had enough. He's see, she sees what's going on and she leaps at Ileana and screaming at her, enough, Ileana, you've had your tantrum. And Ileana brandishes her soul sword. And we've seen this before. We've seen her soul sword before. It's usually this silver, pure light. It's just, just beautiful, beautiful weapon, this mystical weapon. And this time, it is all, all black. It is just completely corrupted. And before she can swing it at Kitty, Kitty grabs a hold of it and slashes Ileana. And when she grabs it, before she slashes Ileana, it, it becomes pure again. She purges it of its darkness, and, and it becomes this pure silver eldritch light. And she slashes Ileana with it. And Ileana crumples to the ground. She has returned to her, to her normal self, to the, to, to the form, to this blue-eyed, blonde-haired Russian girl that we've, we've become accustomed to. They don't know what to do. They know Magneto's... Uh, they, they, they end up they know Magneto was fighting the Beyonder they know they left they gotta get back and so they go back to LA and they get kinda close but they're not where the fight had been taking place but Ileana's afraid that if she tried any harder they'd be shifted in time and space and they would end up who knows where and, and they decide that they, they can't That that's going to just be okay. So they're okay here. Meanwhile, Kitty, she's really struggling with what had, with, with what had happened, right? She's struggling uh, with the idea that the Beyonder has just caused so much chaos, right? He's harmed Ileana, somebody she cares about. And, and Kitty's a little worried that maybe she's been corrupted, too, if, as she's taken that black soul sword and it purged it. She's wondering if that darkness is now in her. And he, she's seen what the Beyonder has done to Ileana, her best friend, and what the Beyonder had done to Colossus in Secret Wars 1. Right? He's done harm to everyone Kitty cares about. Now she is out for revenge. She doesn't care at what cost she wants to make the Beyonder pay. Now, once they're back in L.A., the group finally does decide that they've been chasing. They, to continue chasing the Beyonder, they, they need to get a hold of somebody. And so Sam calls to let everyone know what's up. He calls the X-Men first, and then he calls this 1-800 number uh, that the Avengers have. Nobody answers. And the, the person who answers the phone for the Avengers 
kind of doesn't believe what Sam's telling them. And so he's gotten a hold of no way, no one. And Ileana tells him, hey, you just leave a message and get off the phone. You know, the Beyonder is the least of our concerns. We didn't come out here to fight the Beyonder. We came out here to save our friends, and we still need to do that. And that's what they're going to do. They're going to they're gonna work to save Roberto and Amara. Now, what Ileana says, I love, and I'm just going to read the quote directly. Give her the message and hang up. Sam, we've got more important things to worry about. Two of our friends were kidnapped, remember? We were all set to rescue them when we got Shanghai to battle that dumb alien. Like, that is such a... Like, thank you, Claremont, for writing that. I really... It just makes me feel so much better. It's like so, so like, uh purging of my frustrations and irritations with having to read about the Beyonder. Like, okay, Claremont, you don't like it either, but you're making do and doing the best you can. And I really appreciate that line. So that's where we're at. The new mutants with Rachel. So the remaining new mutants are here, Sam and Ileana, that's it. And Kitty, Dazzler, and Rachel are going to work together to try to save Roberto and Amara from the Gladiators. So the group of young mutants uh, goes to Lila Cheney's house and they take one of her cars. And I think takes a loose term. I mean, I don't think Lila's going to care that Sam commandeered the car, but I I think this is Grand Theft Auto. Uh, And none of them have driver's licenses. And... None of them have IDs for that matter. So they've got to be really careful, although they don't have a lot of time, and Sam's driving fairly quickly. Now, the plan they come up with is they're going to use the tickets they have to reach the seller who they got the tickets from, and they're just going to backtrack up the food chain until they get to the gladiators. That's, That's the idea. But they're not going to question anybody. They've got a telepath, right? They've got one of the, uh, who's one of the people who's going to become uh, one of the strongest telepaths in the whole Mar- in the Marvel universe down the road, uh, in Rachel Summers, um, and they're going to have her read their thoughts to figure out who they're they're after. Allison is not a big fan of this. She doesn't think that that's right, and. We've talked time and time again how, you know, just traipsing through someone's mind with telepathy is probably a violation of privacy and it's not super ethical and there's so many problems with consent in that. Uh, So her concerns are not something we haven't talked about on this podcast before and it's good that she brings it up and Chris, Chris Claremont has Kitty, you know, deal, you know, deal with that that point that Allison makes head on because Allison's more in favor of getting the authorities involved. Kitty points out to her that having the authorities involved is probably not the best idea for a number of reasons. One, it'll take too long. Roberto and Amara are in danger now and they need to be saved now. It's important that we get to them as soon as possible. And if it takes too long, they could be hurt or killed. So that's one. And two is it could reveal who they are. These they're mutants, all of them, but they all live with a certain amount of anonymity. They they go to this school and 
not everyone in the world at this point knows that X-Men or the New Mutants are actually mutants. Most people don't. They just think it's a fancy private school. And they're not aware that these students, especially these young, younger mutants, are mutants. And that affords them some safety in public. And we've seen at times, especially in this era, and it's only going to get worse, that the public has no interest and kindness towards mutants. And in fact, that gets mutants oftentimes in trouble. In fact, we've seen Xavier beat to death by his own students on a university campus. Just before, just issues, you know, not that, a couple months back in Uncanny X-Men. So human-mutant relations are not in the best spot. And so that would endanger their lives. And finally, I mean, X-Men and New Mutants, according to Kitty, take care of their own. So... These are the reasons that Kitty really lays out as to why it's not they're not going to involve the authorities. And Dazzler accepts that. And, you know, honestly, I, I, that's a reasonable argument. And um, I don't know, you know, if time is of the essence, what else are you going to do? And we don't know the people, so it makes it easier for, uh, for me. Certainly, we haven't seen any of the people that Rachel's going to be uh, using her telepathy on. So it makes it pretty easy for me to say, okay, yeah, let's do this. These are just bad guys with no names. Uh, Anyways, that being said, Allison's okay with that. But the plan is to infiltrate the gladiators once they get there, and and Kitty's going to do that. Allison thinks the better plan would be for her to do it. But Kitty says no. She's not trained for this type of work, and she's already quit the gladiators. She tried to put them out of business already, and they'll suspect something's up if Dazzler goes back. That's Kitty's concern. And so Kitty's just going to do it. It's her job, and that's the job she's going to take. Dazzler's pretty sure that nobody trusts her, that they don't trust her, and that they think that her old friendships with the gladiators will sway her loyalties and make her vulnerable to uh, switching sides. Elsewhere, in the gladiatorial arena... Roberto, in his sunspot form, does battle, and he's struck by one of the maces, a spiked mace that one of the other gladiator opponents is wielding. Uh, He's knocked back, and he realizes, yeah, he's super strong, but he's not invulnerable, and that's probably more for us readers than it is for himself. Uh, And he fights back. He kicks one of them in the jaw, and he quickly takes out both of his combatants in the arena, in the crowds, going wild. And he's, uh, he's aware that he's won, but he's questioning what he will do when his victories are no longer what the crowd wants, but instead he wants... They, they, begin to, they become bloodthirsty and want death. How's he gonna... How's he gonna what's he gonna do at that point? He returns to the cell that he and Amara are sharing and she notices that he is cut. He's bleeding. And he looks down and he realizes he is as well. Um, and as they're trying to deal with that, he, he realizes he, he, you know, he sees it and he, and he knows that he didn't even notice this wound in battle. So it's likely that the drugs begin to affect him. Right, affect his body. And this drug is designed to make him more pliable and also want to use his powers. And the more he uses his powers, the more he'll want to fight. It just becomes to make, begins to make him bloodthirsty. And Amara and 
Roberto have both been injected with this. And we found that out last issue. And so that's likely one of the side effects. That's my guess. And as Amara and, and Roberto are talking about this injury of holographic in, image is appears before them. And it's this Flynn, the leader of the gladiators. And he's, you know, talking about how the scar is so glorious. And Roberto has this flippid comment about how he's overjoyed with, overwhelmed with joy about this. And, and Flynn shuts him down. He says, hey, you know, no more back talk. You keep doing what you're doing. Otherwise, those kids I kidnapped will be, you know, it'll cost their lives. He is here just to make sure that the two new mutants, Amar and Roberto, continue to obey and do the things they've been told to do. So somewhere in the holiday, Hollywood Hills, uh, the new mutants are are appearing. I say new mutants. It's really Sam and Ileana. And... Uh, Rachel and Kitty and they're standing on this cliff overlooking this beautiful mansion and down in the driveway a taxi pulls in and in that taxi's Allison Blair she has basically gone rogue um, and is going to go make contact with the person in this mansion she wants back in and she also wants to prove herself um, Sam really wants to stop her and so and and so does Rachel. She offers to stop her. Kitty's kind of running the show here. She's taking the leadership role. And she says, no, Allison's made her choice, and I've, I've decided to, to let her do this. Uh, just mind call her. Tells Rachel to mind call her. And, and Rachel does. And Allison lays out why she has to prove herself. She tells Rachel that, you know, it, that she'd overheard Sam's friend Lila saying that the gladiators were like a drug and that it was like pure heroin. And, and Allison wants to find out if she's addicted to the fame and the spotlight, as, as Lila has claimed, or if she can, in fact, overcome it. And Kitty's going to let her. Sam's super upset. He's, he yells at Kitty, telling her, No, she isn't a new mutant, Kitty. You have no right to put her in such danger. It was her choice, Sam, and my decision to respect it. Kitty doesn't even blink. She's got her nose turned up. It's such a beautiful shot. Um, and, and this is kind of the crux of the problem. The New Mutants and the X-Men aren't going to work well together. They're two separate teams. They can. There's a potential for that, but there's also potential for great conflict. And if you remember, Kitty and the New Mutants haven't always gotten together well, well together in the past. Now, Sam and Kitty are hashing this out, and in the meanwhile... Rain, uh, Rachel has kept her silent with, with Dazzler as she enters the mansion. All of a sudden, there's it's gone. She loses contact with Dazzler. There's this psionic wall that's around the mansion, and she can't penetrate it. She realizes there's a presence, but she can't pinpoint it. And we see, because we have the benefit of being uh, the viewing party here, we see that the, the, the form that has appeared with them that is not visible to their eyes and can't be pinned down by Rachel's telepathy is actually beyond her. He's interfering. And this reminds me of the Q, so much of the Q. It's like what the Q does to the next generation, right? He's always harassing and meddling and interrupting. And that's very much how I feel like 
what the Beyonder does in the story. He's just interrupting the story, and it drags the story out in a way I don't like. But I think Claremont does a pretty good job throughout the New Mutants crossovers with the Sacred Wars. I think some of the stories that come out of that are pretty fantastic, and the character development that comes out of it is well worth the trouble. So I will say that. Now, Rachel informs her teammates that she has, in fact, lost contact with Dazzler. And we cut to Dazzler having entered the mansion. And this, so this is like at the same moment that contact has been lost with Rachel. Like it's this instantaneous. So it's just like we, we are now with Dazzler. And she is greeted by the lady she helped, Ivich, and Max, the horse guy. And she wants back. She tells them that she can't make it on the outside and that she just wants back. They're her friends. She feels at home here, and she just begs to return. And Max gives her this flask of the drug to drink, and he tells her it's the same drug. It's just stronger, and if she wants to make it here if she wants to come back she's got to drain the flask and she does that and we cut to a totally different area someone who's aware that of all the things that are going on uh that that dark that large dark silhouetted figure that we saw in the last issue and she's watching what is occurring on monitors and she's very happy she samps her fingers and summons uh champagne she wants to celebrate she's very happily that dazzler has returned um and she's going to make some calls because the situation while it's in her favor and she's very pleased with it she's also very aware that there may there may be trouble, and she might need some assistance. So she calls San Francisco. In fact, she's getting in contact with General Coy. This is General Coy was the uncle of Shane Coy Man Karma, and she's calling him. And She noticed that her slave is trembling, the man that brought her the champagne. And she asks him if he fears her, and he tells her no, he doesn't. And then she asks, does he love him? And he says, yes, master, yes! Then, as an expression of that love, die for me. And it's I love this scene. She this this character, we, we don't know who it is. I think most fans of the issue of this comic, of this 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 run definitely know who this character is. And the big reveal is coming. You will find out soon enough. This character shatters the wine glass. Because and it's it's a bold statement. I'm gonna put this in there. She says, Hail the prodigal daughter. You are now as much my property, Alison Blair, as this goblet to do with as I will. And that's when she crushes the goblet in her hands. She will destroy Allison when it is fitting to her, as she does with everything else. So meanwhile later 
Kitty has infiltrated the arena and of the gladiators, and she's interviewing. She's trying to become a techie on the tech crew, and she's interviewed, being interviewed by Ivanich and Max. And Max tosses her this module device, and he tells her to fix it. If she's so good, fix this, and we'll see. And she's able to repair it to his satisfaction, and she's hired. Now, meanwhile, Dazzler is performing on the center stage. She is singing and blasting light, and she wipes out all of the gladiators that had been sent into the arena to face her. And the crowd's going wild, and she is loving it. The music's pulsating, and she is just in her zone, and she is just intoxicated by it. She later is there when Bobby wakes up. He'd been in the arena fighting, and she had knocked him unconscious. And and she tries to tell Bobby and Amara that, hey, she's there to help them, and explains that she's come with Sam and Ileana, and they just aren't buying it. They both saw how she performed in the, in the arena, and she isn't super confident that she is addicted to this, that she isn't one of the gladiators. They don't trust her, and they tell her that. Now, Kitty, who's on the other side of the wall from them, here's, overhears the whole conversation, and so she knows what's happened, and she's going to report back to Sam that, one, the reason that, that Amara and Roberto have stayed is because they believe that uh, Flynn is holding children, that he's willing to harm if they don't do what he says. And two, that Allison probably has been, she's probably a fame addict, that she's completely just lost herself and that they're not going to get her back. And she tells Sam, when Sam asks about Dazzler, one for my conscience, Cannonball, I'm really sorry, makes two of us, girl. And they decide that they'll make the, their next move during the next match that the gladiators have. So the next morning, the gladiators are training, and Elson Blair's going up against Amara. Amara throws some lava burst at her. She dodges out of the way, and she's grabbed by Roberto, who tosses her into the air. This flying mutant uh, gargoyle-like thing catches her and brings her back to the ground. Now, Roberto, in his thoughts, he's, we're aware that he thinks, hey, I was going to catch her. I wasn't going to let her come to harm. Amara's not enthused. She tells them, hey, we're done. She doesn't trust him now. No, now, none of these this group trusts each other, and they're out for blood. And she's, she's in, enthralled. She, she was going to prove to everyone that she's the greatest, and she's just eating up this environment. And she doesn't trust them. And this is exactly what that silhouetted figure had wanted. Splendid, my dears, splendid. Every day and every way, your own inner fears and terrors drive you away from your true friends and bind you ever more closely to me. So Allison's just sliding further and further away and deeper into the holes and the clutches of this drug in the gladiators. And meanwhile... Outside the stadium, Rachel is meditating. She's sitting cross-legged on a rock, and uh, she's searching. She's scanning for that presence she felt earlier. And Sam asks if she thinks it's beyond her. And Ileana's quick to say, yeah, of course it was. And he points, he's like, flippantly says, it really shook you up, didn't it? And Ileana says, 
I'm just going to read her quote directly. That was no illusion in limbo, Sam. That was me. I'm a demon sorceress. A part of my fundamental self, my soul, is evil. The Beyonder brought that to the surface with the same unthinking ease you draw a breath. You know, and Kitty saved them. Otherwise, she could have killed them all. And, and Ileana is really shook up about this. And Sam asks, why, you know, why would he have come? And Ileana says, well, he's probably just a bored celestial sadist looking for some cheap thrills. And Sam doesn't want to buy that. You know, the only person that Sam argues should have that kind of power is God. And Ileana says, well, maybe that's who it is. But Sam's like quick to say, well, it could be a devil too. And then Ileana points down at the ground to that arena and says, you know, they could die down there too. And Sam's retorts that, well, that's human, you know, like we're supposed to, you know, that's something that's understandable. Like I can deal with that. Like there's, I can affect that. I can change that. I can, I can engage with that. Like that's human. But he doesn't like the fact that the beyonder is something that it changes the rules however it wants, whenever it wants. And there's no say or rhyme or reason to anything. It's just with a whim. And how do you play a game when there's no set rules? And Ileana responds, as best you can, silly, and pray we get really lucky. And they're both looking down the hill, and Sam's standing next to her. He's taller than her, and his hand's playing with her hair. He's stroking her head, it looks like. And Rachel tells him there's no sign of the presence from yesterday. She can't locate it, but that Kitty has radioed, and that the bout tonight's about to start. At the same time as the team outside, Sam, Ileana, and Rachel are confronting the Beyonder, Kitty is making her move. She slips into a power junction and she knocks the power out. The alarm goes off and she phases through the floor. And there stands Roberto. He's shocked to see her, obviously. But she tells him, hey, Flynn, he's lying. He doesn't have hostages. You know, he's keeping you and Amara here with a lie. And Roberto's ready to confront him. Um, But Kitty's like... You know, that's fine. You want to go talk to him. You want to go beat him up, rough him up. You know, just don't harm him. Leave him for the law. You know, just be ready for my signal. And he goes his way, and she goes to get Dazzler. And she slips through the wall into Dazzler's room, and she finds Dazzler's journal. And in reading it, she discovers that Dazzler is claiming she just didn't fit in with the gladiators. She just didn't find her home here. And in fact, it's not really this that she wants. It's not the gladiators. It's not the arena. She just wants to be famous. She wants to be a star, but not at the cost of her soul. And Kitty's so proud because, you know, she had a similar experience with in Japan, finding herself. And she's glad that Dazzler has come to this conclusion on her own. And that's what being a true hero is. And she goes to Dazzler and she tells her everything's going to be over. All right, her nightmare's over. Dazzler has tears streaming down her face. And Kitty says, Daz, what are you? And Dazzler erupts into light and begins to blind Kitty. And Kitty's grabbed from behind as well at the same time. Um, And it's this sensory overload that momentarily blinks out 
Kitty's mind and prevents her from being able to phase. And she's embraced by that silhouetted figure, this large silhouetted figure. And this figure says, You are quite mistaken, Sherry. Dazzler's nightmare is far from over. And she tells her that basically they, she's got them. Now she has them. And Kitty realizes she knows the voice. And this, this figure responds to Kitty's thoughts. My face as well, I wager. And it begins to laugh, cackling loudly. Um, and Kitty's thoughts say, he reads my thoughts, but my size shields are nothing, my darling, to a true adept. No, no, impossible. You, it can't be you. And Kitty knows who this person, who this is, but we don't find out because we are quickly brought to where Amara and Roberto are waiting. They're waiting for Kitty. They're waiting for a signal. And Roberto's become concerned. But Amara says, no, wait, Kitty's an X-Men. She's, she can handle this. We just got to trust her. And they wait. They continue to wait. But on the center stage, Dazzler begins singing. And her song, she's able to manipulate the sound and create light. And it illuminates Roberto and Amara. And Roberto now knows that something is really wrong. Dazzler's become her song, which means the main event has begun. And these massive double doors burst open. And there stands this giant behemoth monstrous thing holding this massive axe and a flail with a big ball on the end. Lots of armor and craggly teeth. And every time I see this image, it makes me think of Return of the Jedi when Luke is dropped is captured by the job of the hut and is forced to fight in that giant pit, the Sorlock, or not the Sorlock, but the, 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 I can't think of the monster's name and he ends up killing it. Uh, but that's what this makes me think of every single time I see this picture. Um, And Roberto says, we've reached our Rubicon, my friend. We must kill or be killed. And that is exactly what that silhouetted figure that has captured Dazzler and Kitty has wanted from the beginning. The next issue will be the conclusion of this arc. Um, That'll be issue 31, entitled Saturday Night Fight. So... Let's quickly just kind of review this issue. Like I said, I really find the Beyonder stuff tedious. I do like some of the stuff it does allow us to to really look at Ileana in a way we haven't had the opportunity to do before. Um, we get to explore a character. We get to see maybe some accelerated character development, especially when it comes to us seeing the Dark Child in the New Mutants issues. We've seen that before, but not to this extent. And we haven't seen that manifested in front of her peers before um so we get that cool interaction we get this interaction between sam and eliana we really haven't seen either and uh nelson he points out that there might be some sort of uh attraction with eliana and sam uh, at least with Ilian on, on her part. She's talked about how Sam uh, being attracted, what she's thought of Sam before. We've seen that before. And then she had that moment where she was grossed out a little bit by Sam kissing uh, Layla. And uh, 
you know, so there might be somewhat of an attraction. Now, Sam, for his part, he, to my mind, he treats Ileana very much like a child rubbing her hair uh, when they're talking about uh, the Beyonder just before they confront him the second time in this issue. Um, he doesn't seem to treat her in the same way somebody who has a crush on somebody would. And, you know, he's also in a relationship, and that might be part of it. I would also like to point out uh, that, well, this is really the first time we haven't seen Danny center stage in a New Mutants issue. She isn't going to become... She used to be really the driving character. She drives stories uh, quite often. She was a focal character on really kind of the main character for a very long time. And now I think that focus is going to end up shifting here with these issues. She, Deliana is become, is going to become more of the focus. Um, and, and in fact, we'll have Inferno and that arc heavily involves Deliana. And so Danny's kind of not sidelined completely, but she shifts much more to, uh, from, she becomes less of a focal character and Ileana begins to take that role. I would still argue that Ileana and Danny are probably the two main focal characters in this in the New Moon series, and that will continue. Um, you know, I, I like the stuff with Allison Blair. I think she's an interesting foil for the characters to bounce off of. I like seeing Kitty working with the, the New Mutants. Um, but like I said, I do find uh, the appearance of the Beyonder coming and going throughout this issue, it, it just, it makes, in my opinion, it makes the issue drag in a way that is uh, unfortunate. Um, but it's also a mandated... Um, it's a mandated uh, editorial decision. It's not like Claremont had a choice. He was mandated to write in the Beyonder into certain issues, and that was a decision made by the editor-in-chief, Jim Jim Shooter, and not something within Claremont or in Nascenti's uh, decision-making. They, they didn't have the ability to say yes or no to that. It was required, and they did it. And I think they did a very good job, considering. Uh, so, um, yeah, this is this is uh, the issue 30, um, and we will continue, like I said, next week with issue 31, um, Saturday Night Fight, and uh, the conclusion to Zinkevich's run with the New Mutants. Um, it's a good issue, and I'm excited to get into that. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this issue, and uh, yeah, please stay tuned. We'll we'll dive into the conclusion of this uh, gladiatorial saga next week. Hey, James. So here we are, the final Sienkiewicz storyline. So it's pretty bittersweet, but I'm going to enjoy reliving these um, these comics. Um, anyway, I think I have an answer as to why um, there was a fill-in letters. Uh, Orzakowski was um, busy lettering the Newton Special Edition and X-Men Annual, part of the Asgardian storyline, so I could see why he needed the lettering assist. And second, um, I, this is one of the issues that I really love seeing Eliana's uh, personality shine through. I, I It's pretty funny, her reaction to Sam and Lila's um, smooching. Um, and it sort of plays up this idea that um, Eliana's had somewhat of a little bit of a crush of Sam, which we saw in the X-Men Annual, I mean, I'm sorry, the New Mutants Annual, a few months back, so uh, pretty fun stuff to see that. Anyway, uh, enjoying it, and uh, looking forward to the final two issues. Uh, Take care. Bye. 
As always, thanks, Nelson. I really, really appreciate the feedback. And uh, like I, you know, Nelson gave me that tidbit about the Asgardian Wars, and that's being where Orzakowski was. And uh, we discussed that earlier in this episode. And, you know, the idea that Ileana has this crush on Sam, I I find intriguing, you know. Um, I've talked a little bit about Ileana's character, and... You know, this this is really the first time we see this dark child persona brought forward, and and I talked about this earlier in the episode, but again, I, I think it's worth touching on that this is Ileana, and there's this darkness within her that she keeps for the most part under wraps, and she definitely plays up. She she plays to what people's expectations of her are. So for her brother, he sees her as this innocent snowflake, and she always tries to be that for her brother. For Kitty Pride, she is a good friend and a teenage girl, and remember, she's a seven-year-old girl in a 14-year-old girl's body, 15-year-old girl's body now, you know, so she's really eight. She's just been aged um, like that in limbo. So she doesn't have... Um, the same kind of development as her peers might. And not that that's a bad thing, just something that's true about her character. So she's playing at these ideas. She's she's exhibiting these things that she sees mirroring these things, or she's trying to be things that maybe other people expect her to be. Her character, it's well-developed. It's just one of the things that Ileana does. And we see that consistently through this arc, uh, through her story, her character arc, um, as she is written by Clarice Claremont and, and later Louise Simonson. Um, she's always kind of... She's, a, she's always trying to take on the expectations of others and present something. She really never fully lets anyone in or allows them to see her. And... This this the flirting thing with Sam, the, the idea of her having this attraction, it might be the thing. It might be the case for sure. Um it also could be just something that she sees her peers doing and mirroring that behavior or an expectation that she feels others have of her, right? I'm sure there's plenty of nights where she's sat in Kitty's room and they've had uh, chat sessions about who's cute, what boys are cute, and you know we've we've seen that before portrayed with especially these younger mutants. So the idea that she might just be putting on this persona, trying this on to see how it fits is is certainly a possibility. There's also the idea that we see later uh, after Liana dies that. Uh, her soul sword appears in the rock outside the lighthouse in Excalibur, and uh, Kitty later is the person that can wield it after Liana's gone, and she wields it here and cleanses it of its darkness. So there's the, one. There's also this idea of yin and yang between Ileana and uh, and Kitty, but but in a broader sense, there's also this this question of relationship. Um, what is their relationship? Is it just friendship or is it more? Um, and that's certainly something that's talked about. Now, Kitty has been also linked to Rachel Summers in, in similar ways uh, with, with this idea of gal pals and what those connotations mean um, in terms of relationships and what do those relationships really, uh, what are the underlying 
um, what is the underlying message that we're supposed to to maybe read between the lines to understand is occurring between these characters. Um, so, you know, there's also the connotation that Ileana and and Rach, and, uh, and uh, Kitty Pride have uh, a relationship, and there's also been that kind of that's also been hinted at with Rachel and and Kitty as well before it was something that was going to be published on paper. Um, so those are some interesting character dynamics. And it's also really interesting that now we have Kitty Pride here. And in the last issue, we had this, this hint call out callback to that sort of attraction that Ileana has for Sam. Um, and now we have Kitty here and there's, there's a hint that maybe there's something that goes on between those two characters off panel that we don't see as the readers. So, uh, just just some interesting character dynamics being laid out here for us. Um, but thank you, uh, Nelson. I, I appreciate hearing from you. It's really good to hear from you. Um, and I, I, I thank you for getting hold of us. And um, it's it's always a great time to hear from you and talk with you. So, you know, please don't hesitate to reach out and message me here in the near future again. Thanks. James Explores the New Mutants is, as always, recorded in Iowa City, Iowa, and is produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are published every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at Explore New Mutant via email at explorethenewmutants at gmail.com. Visual companions to the episodes are available on Facebook and Instagram by searching James Explores the New Mutants. Another cool way to reach the podcast is via Anchor Messenger Service. It's a great way for you, the listeners, to become involved with the podcast. It allows you to record minute-long questions, comments, that I can then place directly into the episodes. So I highly encourage it. It's really, really cool, and I like using it. So please, reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Um, Anyways, like I said, next week we dive into the conclusion, episode 31, The New Mutants, Saturday Night Fight. Until then, keep reading those comics.